Namaste and welcome to the ninth podcast episode of the year 2023. On behalf of the whole SAP family, I would like to thank you for tuning in. It's September and it marks the start of festive season here. With festivities around us, we are all set for the celebrations. And when I talk about celebrations, what a time it is to witness and how technology is playing a crucial role in changing the way we do our things. With topics like AI and specifically generative AI has definitely got our attention. And in this episode, we want to give you insights on what we at SAP are doing with generative AI and how it's infused in the tools we use and the business applications. So let's dive in. Starting with the first section, let's see here some selections of the new additions made to the SAP BTV Business Services. On the SAP Business Application Studio, when working in a full-stack application using productivity tools dev space, you can now share your deployed multi-tenant applications with others by subscribing to the application and then sending the destinations to them. This update provides automation for multi-tenant application subscription with routes created and mapped automatically. Also, you can now add an SAP Business One system to your SAP Business Application Studio sub-account from the Service Center. The integration of SAP Build Workzone Advanced Edition with SAP Task Center will now allow users to see any task that is created in a workspace in the SAP Task Center UI. These were just few selections from the list of items that are new to SAP BTP services. To know more, take a look at the links mentioned in the show notes. Now moving to the section where we invite guests to discuss on some key and happening topics. This time we have David Kunz, who is an architect for the SAP Cloud Application Programming Model team. And we will be talking about how at SAP, we are making the process of writing code easier for our developer ecosystem and how this process involves giving prompts to your code assistant and letting it generate the code. Welcome, David, to our September episode of SAP BTP Talk. Please tell our listeners a bit more about yourself. Hi, Gaurav. Thank you for having me. My name is David Kunz, and I work as an architect for the SAP Cloud Application Programming Model, or CAP in short. So originally, I'm a theoretical physicist, but I've always been obsessed with computers. So it was clear that I want to become a software engineer. So after I got my PhD, where I calculated the Higgs boson mass in the minimal supersymmetric standard model, I joined SAP in 2015. And I first developed applications for SAP S4HANA, Master Data Governments where I created apps in the context of master data quality, and I used the ABAP programming language. And later, I then joined the CAP team, where I now work as an architect. I also have a YouTube channel, Dev on Duty, where I talk about software engineering, NeoVim, and other tools I like. Great. Glad to have you, David. And listeners, please go and subscribe to that channel. <laughs> Great. So David, whenever we invite experts to our podcast, we play a small fun-guessing game with them. Do you want to give it a try? All right. Great. So the game is, I'll be reading an abstract, mostly sci-fi related. 
and uh, you must guess from where it is like a movie a web series name or a famous quote you can always ask for hints ready all right okay so i'll be reading the plot and you must guess where this is from and here it is uh, our lead character when he is not working as a letter writer spends his time with video games one day he decides to purchase a new operating system which is advertised as the world's first artificially intelligent operating system it's not just an operating system it's a consciousness the ad states you have to guess where it is from and name if you know who that's a tough one i have absolutely no clue um is it a sci-fi series so what is it okay so it's not a sci-fi series yeah okay but a sci-fi movie pretty close yeah okay if you want your first hint i can give it to you yeah give me a hint okay great so i'll be reading a conversation between you know uh, two person so the first dialogue is i want to learn everything about everything i want to eat it all up i want to discover myself to this our lead character says yes i want that for you too how can i help no well, that doesn't ring any bells any guesses you want to make ah uh, no no i mean when you said the uh, artificial intelligent as an operating system i thought my first thought was hell from uh, space odyssey but i don't think that's the case here but i i must say that you're pretty close pretty close okay let me give you your second hint so our lead character falls in love with the operating system as the story develops i see well i never watch uh, love stories so <laughs> i have no okay. idea <laughs> okay. Uh, okay then let me give you the third hint where uh, i will let you know the names of the characters that might ring a bell so the character names are theodore samantha and amy ah no uh-huh. no 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 it would have been a series no, no then I, i have no clue then i haven't watched it okay no worry so the abstract was from an oscar winning movie titled her featuring yokim phoenix and uh, scarlett johansson so okay yeah. I, i haven't watched it so i couldn't have guessed it okay no worries it's a wonderful voice i must say so great no issues <laughs> Now we resume back to the topic for which we invited David to the talk. So David we did talk about cap so many times in our episodes before but still can you briefly bring our new listeners up to speed on this? Ah sure absolutely. Um so cap uh, it's not an official abbreviation it stands for the SAP Cloud Application Programming Model it's quite a mouthful that's why we tend to say cap and it's a set of tools and frameworks and you can build cloud native apps on the SAP business technology platform and the main characteristics are that you can really quickly build apps so usually when you write programs you tend to need to configure a lot of systems uh, before you can even write the first line of code but with cap you can just start so everything works locally you can even mock external systems like synchronous systems or messaging systems and the the principle uh is called grow as you go that means you start easy and then add more capabilities iteratively and uh, the other dominant aspect and if you're a cap developer you know that for sure is that you have this declarative language called cds and it's really expressive and 
you don't have to think about low-level details. You can just model your domain in this declarative language. And once you've defined it, you get a fully-fledged OData server for free, basically, with all the generic features like searching, sorting, filtering, etc. And you can also plug in different adapters, like, for example, GraphQL, and then you would have a GraphQL server. So all by just defining the data model. So I would say it's never been easier to build OData servers than with CAP. Well, at least until CAPGPT is released. <laughs> nice. Uh, you mentioned about CAPGPT, David. So this is something new on the blog. Uh, can you please tell our listeners more about it? Yeah, sure. So as a disclaimer, CAPGPT is probably not the official name. We have to think of something. Um, yeah, so it started in uh, December 2022. That was about a week after ChatGPT dropped. I mean, you probably have all heard of ChatGPT. And uh, so what, one and a half weeks or so, I investigated if it could generate CDS models, right? the declarative language of CAP. And to my surprise, it even worked, at least for simple examples like bookshops with authors and books and things like that. And I was absolutely fascinated by that. And uh, I wrote a blog post at uh, uh, blogs.sap.com. You can also read about it. It's called, I think, Having Fun with uh, ChatGPT and CAP. And I remember that the next nights I just couldn't sleep, right? So my, my brain was constantly imagining how I can use it. It was really, really fascinating for me. And yeah, this technology really opens up a lot of things. So with uh, CapGPT, I, I built a prototype. It was on, a, on an evening in my free time. I sat together and I figured out, hey, how can I utilize this? So I wrote it and... I, I designed it in a way that you basically provide a description of a data model. So, for example, you can say, hey, CapGPT, create an app with orders and order items. Each order has many order items, things like that. And then after a few moments, it will generate then the CDS data model, annotations for Fury elements, test data, everything you need you know, to get your basic first prototype running which you can already inspect in your browser, play around with it, and things like that. So we have this Fury preview mode in CAP where you can just click on it and then it opens up a Fury Elements app. So my intention was that once you provide this description, uh, you have all the needed artifacts generated so you can browse in, in such an application. And of course, if you're not satisfied with the result, you can just tweak the description, generate it again, at, until at some point the app meets your requirements. And uh, the best part, of course, with generative AI uh, is that the generated artifacts, it's not machine code which was generated, it's normal CDS models, as if you've written them by hand. That means after it's done, you can just continue to develop the app as it is for any other cap application. So the initial version wasn't robust at all. So it only worked for very simple data models. It failed in about 30% of the cases. And it took, I think, three minutes or so to generate. And the Fury Elements annotations, which I also tried to generate, that was by far the hardest and practically impossible. So I, I would say it even worked only in one out of 10 cases. And uh, yeah, but something was, was working, you know, I got something working and I didn't want to give up. So in the following days and months, I improved it 
And then I found some techniques to drastically reduce the error rate, inference times, and now it, all, it works almost in all cases and usually takes less than a minute to bar it. Awesome. Uh, this indeed sounds very promising, isn't it? Uh, who are the target audience and who is it for, David? Yeah, so the, the good thing about CapGPT is that you don't need to know anything about Cap, right? So the interface is super simple. You provide a description and you get an app. So you don't even have to have any programming knowledge or Cap knowledge or anything like that. So you can just generate apps based on a description and quickly prototype. That means also non-developers can start already start experimenting. So, for example, product owners, right? And they, they don't have to involve developers for their first prototype. They can just provide the description and get an app. And once they are satisfied with the app, uh, they can just give it to their developers. And then those have already something working. And, you know, they already know how the basic structure should, should look like, how the entity should look like. And then they can enhance it and do their usual things with it. At custom logic, at a HANA database, deployed to the business technology platform, things like that. But of course, apart from product owners, also developers themselves can use it just if they want to quickly prototype apps. And it's so much easier to start from something that already works, which you can then refine iteratively than to start from scratch. Um, especially if you don't have much knowledge of CAP, of your elements, and you're just starting it, because then you don't know the syntax, you don't know the file structure, so you would have to read all of that. But with that, you just get a basic app, which I think is quite nice. Absolutely. You mentioned about autonomously generating code, and uh, I'm sure that you know uh, large language models play a role there. Uh, can you tell our listeners what are large language models, or in short, as they go, LLMs, and how do they work? Yeah, sure, I can give it a try. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. LLMs, or large language models, they are the foundation uh, of uh, how CapGPT works, right? So we send so-called prompts to this large language models and we get responses back, which we then take to generate the artifact. So LLMs in their final form just take input and produce output. So text in, text out. And internally, it's a neural net with weights and biases, so parameters. And those parameters are automatically determined through a training process. And in this training process, a huge amount of data is basically fed into the machine, and then the output is compared to the expected value. And the parameters are then adjusted to minimize the error rate, right? The difference between uh, what is expected and what actually comes out. And in reality, it's a bit more complicated, so you also have to uh, separate the training data into a real training data and the uh, data to, to check if, if you're actually trained uh, properly because there are also some problems like uh, overfitting. So you could learn the statistical fluctuations of the training data and you don't want that because you want this predictive machine to be general enough to have proper predictions. So you can split it up and then validate the parameters. So even though it's quite a simple mechanism, I would say, uh, the actual implementation is, a, of, of course, a lot more complicated and also requires more sophisticated approaches like, for example, the transformer architecture. But in the end, you know, all, all those details, are, uh, if you ignore all those details, it's a machine which learns by itself. So you give it data, you adjust the parameters, and then you have something which has some intrinsic behavior. And there's some emergent behavior even. So the machines, they 
can do way more than what was originally expected what they could do. So they could even write code. And I find that truly remarkable, right? So that's they, they just basically train them with text and let them predict the next token. And if enough training data is fed in, at some point they can even code. And this is just really remarkable. So some people argue that LLMs are just stochastic parrots, I think it's called. There was this paper or some people say they are just Markov chains. I mean, yeah, they are indeed Markov chains. So Markov chains basically just says if you have state, then you can predict uh, another state with probabilistic uh, methods. So yeah, it's true. You can describe it like that. But in my opinion, it makes it seem simpler than it actually is, right? So to be honest, if you have a Markov chain, then you can predict the next state, but it takes a lot of reasoning capabilities uh, in order to do so. So for, take, for example, a book. Let's say the last sentence of the book is, and the murderer is dot, 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 and you have to predict the next word. So in order to do this uh, properly, the machine needs to you know digest all the nuances and hints of this whole book to properly predict it. And yeah, sure, it's a Markov chain, but it's absolutely not simple. And I I, th I like to think of LLMs roughly as uh, some kind of data compression. So they are optimized for next token predictions. So one of their core competencies is to detect patterns in text and reduce the incoming information to the quote-unquote core. So it's kind of a compression. That's how I, I like to think of them. Okay. Very well put, David. And indeed, pretty interesting times. Uh, I am curious to know that, you know, what was the motivation behind combining LLMs with CAP? Uh, and where did you start? Yeah, so as I said before, CAP has a few principles and one of, and, and two of them are the perfect fit for the LLM generation. I mentioned grow as you go, you know, the principle that you can start from practically nothing, you know, you don't need to configure systems. You can already start writing your code or defining your data model without having to deal with all this. So that's super helpful in the context of LLM-generated apps because then the LLM doesn't need to generate connectivity or you don't have to set up connectivity. So this is really important. And the other principle, which we call focus on your domain, you know, where you take this declarative CDS language to define your data model, is also really helpful because you don't have to worry about technical details. And also the LLM doesn't have to worry about those technical details. So it all happens already automatically and you can just focus on the semantics. And LLMs are really good at this. They're really good at this semantic understanding of the world. And that's why my gut feeling was that generating CAP projects might be an achievable task for, for LLMs. So in the beginning, you know, I started with simple prompts like uh, generate a CDS model for authors and books for the SAP cloud application programming model. That's nothing more, and uh, it worked. And it was not robust and not really fast, so I refined it and thought of some more approaches to make it more robust and faster, which I now have achieved. And now the error rate is quite low, and it usually takes less than a minute to generate the CDS model and data. Yeah, exactly. So I won't be wrong if I say match made in heaven between CAP and LNM. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's right what you put, yeah. <laughs> Okay, but uh, I'm sure there would be, you know, some blocks or some limitations that you might have encountered while you were working with LLMs. Can you give our listeners some insights into that? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, LLMs, they are really magical machines, but they have limitations. I mean, let's, let's be real here. In my opinion, the biggest limitation is data management and everything related to it. So you have problems like uh, maximum context window, inference speed is really critical, costs are critical, it's relatively expensive to, to make predictions. And, but please also note that I don't consider the reasoning capabilities to be the biggest limitation. I think that's one what usually suspect, you know, that they are not clever enough or not smart enough to figure something out. And I do think that they're already great and would probably cover a lot of use cases already. So reasoning is fine. I mean, there are also some things which don't work quite well. I give you an example. So in the context of uh, CapGBT, I, I need to create test data. And test data has a lot of uh, UUID values that is the UUID V4 format to be precise. And the shape of how the value should look like is, is determined. So it's, I think, eight characters followed by a hyphen, followed by four characters, and so on and so forth. So it was absolutely crucial that the test data the LLM generates fits to this schema, to this format. So I tried everything. I said, hey, uh, it has to be a UUID V4 format. It got it right most of the time, but in about 10% or so of the cases, it failed. So the shape was not fitting, and then the whole app would crash. So that wasn't, wasn't great. I tried all different prompting techniques. I said, hey, uh, this is an example of a proper value. It had, but it didn't solve the, the issue. Still, there were many errors in the generation. And then I also tried to give it a description of how the shape should look like, you know, like eight characters followed by a half and so on and so forth. Also improved the situation a bit, but it was not satisfying. Uh, I also provided the regular expression and I said, hey, it has to fit to this regular expression. Also, that didn't really work. Uh, at some point, I figured out how to do it and now it works in 100% of the cases. But this example shows you that there are some things LLMs just can't get quite right. So that's a bit frustrating, but I would say for many cases there are workarounds and then you can maybe make it make it work. But let's come back to the biggest limitation in my opinion. So it's data management. So usually when you ask LLMs to solve a specific task, some knowledge is required. And it's usually not part of the initial data the LLM was trained on. So that means it doesn't have this knowledge intrinsically and it cannot derive the solution automatically. So you have to provide that data for this specific task. So let's start with a context window. So before I already, uh, to understand the context window, you have to understand tokens. So that's the basic unit of text the LLM interacts with. It's roughly, roughly a word. So usually a word consists of several tokens, but just think of it as a word. And there's a maximum token limit so for GBT35 Turbo. That's about, uh, or that is 16K. That means you cannot go over it. That means you cannot just put all your data which you have in your database into the prompt. That wouldn't work. So you need to be careful. And in addition to that, the inference speed is linear with the amount of output tokens so that means the more you generate, the longer it takes. And finally, the costs of this generation depend on both the input and the output tokens. So 
data management or token management is really, really crucial and you really have to be, be careful. So all these factors require that you take great care of what you put in the prompt and what you generate. And there's a nice technique called RAC. It stands for Retrieval Augmented Generation. And here you can provide data on demand. For example, you can instruct the LLM to generate quote-unquote code to query your database. So that means you, you say, hey, if you need more information, generate, let's say, a search function call to search for our database. Then the host program can take this output, parse it, extract those database searches and actually perform the searches and then get the result and feed the result back into the prompt. And in the next um, iteration, the LLM then has this information and it can proceed with the task. So that's a nice technique which which helps with this uh, data limitation. And in, in case this is not working for your particular use case, for example, if you need a lot of data, if, if the LLM needs a lot of data, not only just a small subset, then there's also the possibility to fine-tune LLMs. So this way you can also provide, quote-unquote, more information to the LLM. But I hope in the future, you know, this limitation gets decreased and you have a greater context window as well as uh, less costs. Well, definitely there's a learning curve for the generative AI as well. There's no denying on that. Although LLMs are very important for generative AI and nobody is denying that fact, how big of a leap could generative AI be for developers or for society if we see the bigger picture in your opinion, David? Oh yeah, that's a, that's a good question. So first of all, I, I think it will have a huge impact. I mean, there's a time before LLMs and there's a time after. And we are at the moment right in the middle. And I'm pretty sure future generations, they will ask us how it was, you know, when there were no such machines. Uh, similar how they ask us today, you know, how was it without internet? Like, we know how it was. I mean, if you're old enough, you know you know how it was to ha not have internet. But if you try to imagine a world like this, it's practically impossible. And the same thing will happen to LLMs too. It will change the way how we work, how we organize information, how we derive solutions to problems. And all areas are affected, science, politics, medicine, coding, art, everything. And the, the good thing about this is computers will not require too much technical understanding to use them. So at the moment, I don't know, if you use PowerPoint, you have to know where to click, where the functionality is hidden, which you're trying to find, things like that. And in the future, this will not be an issue anymore because you can just state your intent using text or speech even. And and then the computer will figure it out what you actually want to do, and he can or it, it can translate your text into actual instructions. So it's a similar switch like uh, in programming when developers switched from assembly language to higher level programming language. And Andre Capati from OpenAI said it in a tweet, or is it called tweet? I don't know. It's X. Debatable, <laughs> <laughs> I would say. Yeah. So he said, uh, the hottest new programming language is English. Uh, I think it did. Yes. It's kind of true, right? So Indeed. you can state your intent in English and the computer will figure it out. And I don't think it will eliminate jobs. It will just change jobs and then we will be able to achieve more with less. Rightly said. The future is indeed bright for both humans and machines. Yes. What are you excited about in the future, David? 
I'm not in the future. I'm already excited in the present. I mean, every day <laughs> I, I follow the news about new large language models like Llama 2, Code Llama, many fine-tuned variants of it, and, and etc. So Hacker News is a great source for that. And I uh, look at it daily and try to figure out if there are any new advances in this area. And the situation changes so rapidly. I think it's only a matter of time until also other LLMs catch up with GPT-3.5 Turbo and GPT-4. And to be honest, in some use cases, that already happened. So uh, if there's more competition in the LLM scene, further improvements will follow. And I already hope personally that more open source LLMs will be created. I mean, Llama 2 is not strictly speaking open source, but at least you can use it commercially uh, under some circumstances. So I, I think that's a, a, a good thing. And we already have a great tool today, which, let's be honest, is almost like magic. I mean, GPT is like magic. And never before in history could we offload you know, such tasks which we, which we use today to a machine. That was never possible before. To a single machine, by the way. It's not some kind of specialized machine for your particular use case. No, it's one general machine which can solve a whole variety of problems. Um, we also have to be realistic, of course, because at the current stage, it's not going to solve all of our business needs. It's just not happening. We cannot just prompt it for anything. It has limitations, as I mentioned before. And we should only use it where it actually makes sense, but it makes sense in a lot of places. And uh, just think of you know this emerging UX paradigm where you just have an input box. You can write anything in it. And yeah, that's the way apps would change, and I just can't wait for it. Awesome. Uh, I have one last question. Will GPT replace conventional style of coding? So th that's absolutely not the case, so I can just say no. GPT is just a tool. <laughs> uh, you get the first Cap prototype, you know, by providing a description, no need for developers, that's true, but you still need developers to transform it to a real app, right? You typically also want to add custom coding, automated tests, and so on. But also stay tuned for Tagit. Maybe, maybe something's coming. <laughs> Very well put. Uh, thank you so much, David, for you know, taking our time. Uh, I know how busy you are these days, but we really appreciate you to join us and walking us through with such an interesting topic. I'm sure this conversation helped our listeners to gain a deeper knowledge on this topic and also motivated them to put on their thinking caps and try out the use cases with CapGPT. Thank you so much, David. Yeah, thank you for having me. Great. That was David, who talked about how CapGPT, an AI-based code assistant, will help developers to generate code based on the prompts. We also discussed about how SAP is integrating large language models into developer tools to generate CDS models for the SAP Cloud Application Programming Model, where the CAP application enables developers to generate new code using GPT, whereby giving prompts, they can generate a CDS model and data for authors and books for the CAP model in less than a minute. You can check some of the SAP Discovery's interactionable use cases around this topic of artificial intelligence that brings to you the business scenarios where the SAP Business AI services can accelerate your business transformation. If you have pressing questions around this, please refer the show notes. There we have given some great links to help you get started 
or give us a shout out on our social media channels. Plus, you can drop us an email at platformtalks@sap.com. Moving to the next part of the episode where we discuss a business challenge and how customers of SAP solve that challenge with SAP BTP. Now you would agree with me that enabling the efficient processing of thousands of customer payments each day can be an intimidating task. Now on top of it, add operations in 35 countries. Yes, the three main challenges faced by one of our esteemed customers, Mercedes-Benz Mobility AG, who are into enabling private and commercial customers to finance or lease vehicles flexibly through rental and subscription models and fleet management were large transaction volumes and complexity of invoice and payment matching processes country specific payment behaviors and repetitive manual work to clarify the correct customer accounts for unallocated payments to solve these challenges sap cash application was used that offered the potential to transform the way they manage unallocated payments helping their accounting teams work more efficiently and save time that can be spent on higher value tasks the team got guidance and support from sap services and support for a proof of concept project for the add on for contract accounting for sap cash application software and the self learning functionality based on machine learning and ai that enabled sap cash application to evaluate available information to allocate payments automatically where payment details are incomplete was the highlight additionally alignment with the accounting system environment that is based on the sap erp application including the sap billing and revenue innovation management solution was also a value add if i talk about metrics 58% of unallocated invoices forwarded to sap cash application for clarification successfully processed prior to any ai learning cycle this saved 5 to 10 minutes for each invoice that is processed automatically on average what a wonderful way to enhance an it landscape with ai based technology that enables more efficiency and speed in finance if you want to read more about the success story refer the show notes that concludes our ninth episode of the year 2023 and number 99 of sap btp talk I would really like to thank you again for tuning in and staying till the very end. If you were listening to us for the first time and there were terms like LLM, Markov chains, foundation models and so on that were not clear to you, please let us know on our social media channels or drop us an email at platformtalks@sap.com so that we can help you understand them. Plus, we are always ears to your feedback. So let us know what you liked, what you didn't. and most importantly what you wish for in the next podcast talking about the next episode it will be our 100th anniversary yes you heard it right it will be our 100th episode and we are more than thankful and grateful that it's only because of you we are able to reach this milestone and we do have something very special for you so stay tuned for that as well As David mentioned we are also hosting our SAP annual ticket event in an engaging hybrid experience with both a global virtual event and in person experience in Bangalore 
on November 2nd and 3rd, where you can turn your ideas into reality. Don't miss out on this chance to meet developers, practitioners, enterprise architects, and global IT leaders joined by SAP experts and partners. So hurry up and register yourself and your colleagues. Details and links are in the show notes. Sharing is caring. If you agree to that, please share the podcast with your tech friends and family. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, leave a rating and review. You can listen to this podcast on various mediums like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, to name a few. With that, I was your host, Gaurav Day, aka G, reporting and recording from Bangalore, India. Talk to you in the next episode. Until then, keep listening, keep learning and keep growing. Cheers. Cheers.